Coming to you from the ugliest building in the Gulch, it's the Nashville Scenecast. I'm scene editor D. Patrick Rogers. If you like us, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Rate us and leave comments. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks to Jeff the Brotherhood for providing our intro music, Diamond Way, from the album We Are the Champions. And thanks to scene intern Jason Saita, who cuts together all of our episodes. Songwriter John Prine has been making records for nearly 50 years. He's won Grammys and Americana Music and Honors Awards, and over the years his avowed fans have included the likes of Bob Dylan, Johnny Cash, and modern-day collaborators like Brandi Carlile, Jason Isbell, Amanda Shires, and the Black Keys' Dan Auerbach. On Friday, April 13th, Prine will release The Tree of Forgiveness, his first album of new material in 13 years. For this week's scene cover story, Contributor Marissa R. Moss spoke with Prine about the record, his career, his collaborators, and more. On this week's SceneCast, we invite Marissa in to talk about her story. So I'm here with contributor Marissa R. Moss. Thanks for joining us today in the podcast lair, Marissa. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you coming in. So I wanted to talk to you today about your cover story that you did for us this week on John Prine, legendary songwriter, uh, what we've called a songwriter's songwriter, um, and what at least one person in our story called, whom they called a founding father of Americana, we would say. Um, so I want to ask you a little bit about his new record. He's got a new record out on Friday, which is called... Tree of Forgiveness. The Tree, the Tree of, of Forgiveness. Well, let's start with... Uh, I believe he explained to you a bit where that comes from and, and the concept behind that name. What's what's that about? Right. So John Prine is the kind of writer that once he gets... And he talked to me about this, that once he gets an idea in his head, he'll hold on to it for, you know, could be, who knows, 30 years or something like that. So... John Prine and his wife Fiona, who's from Ireland, were hanging out um, in Ireland as they do sort of part of the year and used to go to a restaurant there called the Tree of Idleness. And he kind of hung on to that forever. He loved that phrase. He stole an ashtray, mm-hmm. I think it was, from uh, from the restaurant. Now they'll know about that. But they're closed. I looked it up on the internet. Oh, okay, I think they so closed they're not about come 10 for years them. ago or something like that. Okay. Um, so maybe they won't be so mad about it anymore. <laughs> but And that turned into the Tree of Forgiveness, and that made it into the song, which is also a painting. I'm not sure the era, mm-hmm. but um, actually in the song, it's a nightclub that he opens in heaven where he can kind of gig for all eternity. And uh, that became the title of the record, right. which I love because it's like it's classic John Prine, and that you think it you think it's one thing, and then it turns out to be something else, and right. sort of ends up being both. Sort of that <laughs> stream of consciousness uh, where he puts together uh, whether it's an allegory or a narrative or something, and it starts in one place and ends in another. Yeah. Um, so just a little primer for those listening who don't know a ton about John Prine. He's sort of um, cited by most folks these days who make you know folk and like we said Americana as sort of you know a founding father of this this sound can you talk a little bit about sort not only whom he's influenced but who who among those influences those he's influenced that he's also worked with sure yeah yeah I mean I think John Prine is a an interesting case because I think up until recently he wasn't put 
into the same category as Dylan and Christofferson mm -hmm. amongst kind of the wider public, but amongst songwriters, I think he always has been. Mm -hmm. um, I think the the quote that Bob Dylan said about him was that, you know, he's Midwestern mind trips to the nth degree or something like that. That's, yeah. Um, and he, you know, Dylan loved him. He's super respected by, you know, the entire current class of Americana artists and beyond. Um, Bonnie Raitt, you know, made one of his songs very popular, Angel from Montgomery. I think that's how a lot of people, you know, knew him maybe 10 years ago, but that's changed a lot. Mm -hmm. In that he's sort of witnessing this career resurgence at, you know, in his 70s as he's working with Jason Isbell and Amanda Shires and Marco Price. And he has Randy Carlyle on the record and Dave Cobb produced it, who's produced, you know, Jason Isbell's records, Chris Stapleton's records. He made it in RCA and uh, RCA Studio A. So, you know, one thing that's unique about him is that he's not this record. Tree of Forgiveness is very much almost a collaboration with that class of artists that really looks up to him. Mm -hmm. He sort of considers himself almost, a, I don't want to say a peer, but in that way, rather than just sort of like a, an influential figure that right. kind of hangs over them. Mm -hmm. They sort of look to him to collaborate with, and he collaborates back. And he's still very much, um, you know, a functioning artist and very much involved in um, this current younger generation of folk and Americana artists and, mm -hmm. you know, e even influencing people like, you know, John McCauley of Deertick and... Dan uh, Auerbach also. Yeah, Dan Auerbach, mm -hmm. you know, is a, a songwriting buddy of his. They mm -hmm. hang out and they go to Arnold's and they eat meatloaf. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a big fan of Arnold's, right? Yeah, he loves Arnold. He, Arnold's, he, he knows all the, you know, the month, the, the weekly menus, <laughs> what day to show up. I think uh, I spoke to Dan Auerbach for this piece and they've written a couple songs together for... Tree of Forgiveness and also for Dan's record, I'm Waiting on a Song. And uh, he said to me, he said, I, I don't think I've ever seen John Prine eat a salad. <laughs> <laughs> maybe um, that's the secret to his longevity. Maybe. No salads. Maybe. Um, yeah, and, and, and Auerbach is definitely a huge fan. I mean, I, I've seen him pull him out on stage when nobody was expecting it and that sort of thing. So to see not somebody, as you say, who's just sort of like this looming influence, but a looming influence who is actually a part of, of the music they're currently making and co-writes and, and performances. Yeah, um, he just, uh, everything I think they've written together has actually been cut for a record, which is kind of unique. Yeah. But, you know, I think they, they've they come to just be, you know, songwriting buddies, like he is with Pat McLaughlin, who's from mm -hmm. a different era than Dan Arbach. And um, he's toured with Amanda Shires and he sings with Margot Price and... He's just very much involved in that class of artists, which mm -hmm. is, um, which is pretty unique, I think. Yeah, pretty unique. Yeah. Um, so you went to his house to sit down and talk with him, right? I did. And this, of course, is yeah. I believe he's like in the middle of a big move when you got there. So there's like boxes and that sort of thing stacked around. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think most of us who are familiar with him kind of know him as this figure or know his performance style, which is very unique, but what's it like just sitting down to have a conversation with the guy? Oh, a little <laughs> scary. No, <Yeah>. just, <laughs> I mean, it's always, with figures like that, it's always, um, you never know in some ways what you're going to get because you build up mm -hmm. um, what you think they're like, especially if you've seen them in live, seeing them live a lot. He He talks a lot on stage. Um, and a lot of 
one thing I'm sort of very conscious of when I was writing this piece is that he gives so many good quotes that I think sometimes it almost can veer him towards like a a cartoon character mm-hmm. of himself. Mm-hmm. And I was really conscious of not wanting to do that and be like, here are all the crazy cool things that John Prine said just strung together. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of wanted to tell a story of where he is now. Um, and he was as cool to talk to as you could hope, mm-hmm. but shockingly easy to talk to in the sense of you're not, you're fully aware that you're sitting with a, genius Mm -hmm. but he lets you into his world very quickly too Mm -hmm. which is nice and uh he'll talk to you about meatloaf and (laughs) (laughs) and uh share lots of stories and fiona his wife you know sort of showed up and checked in on us and talked about her t-rex t-shirt and just you know sort of translating that whole idea of wanting to be a part of current culture and not just like Mm -hmm. an ornament on the wall right in a way and i get the impression i mean those of us who've you know set been lucky enough to sort of sit down with these huge songwriters or performers some of them icons you're very conscious of the ones who sort of switch it on and off Mm -hmm. if i could say that some some sort of whether or not it's you know disingenuous it's still there's a character there's a bit of a caricature to them maybe they sort of play the rock star to a certain extent, but I get this impression that Prine, from from how you relate it in your story, which is just a wonderful read, um, that he's just sort of, you're, like you say, he brings you into his world. You're sort of immediately talking about Arnold's meatloaf with John Prine. It's not a bit he's doing, like, look how folksy I am. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, sort of from the second that we sat down in his uh, in his dining room, just kind of the front of the house and you know it just everything just felt like even though the house you know they're moving and a bunch of things were in boxes and mm-hmm. it just, just still had this very like okay you're in John Prine's world mm-hmm. immediately and in the same sense that and this is how sometimes his songs are too it wasn't exactly what I expected but mm-hmm. then ended up being kind of exactly what I would have expected exactly. as I left like yeah. You show you're like, what's John Prine doing in Green Hills and like this house down the street from where Kelly Pickler lives? And then you leave being like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's that's like exactly right. It's just sort of strange, <laughs> this strange enough balance. Yeah. That, He's kind of hidden in plain sight, too. Yeah. It's just like, you wouldn't expect John Prine to just have a house in Green Hills, but then you would yeah. kind of expect And then you're like, that. okay. Like, of course, he's just like, oh, I'm just going to like, you know, go out and like do something to my car in the front yard. And, yeah water the grass or whatever just like so one thing that you were talking about fiona whelan that's his wife um mentioned in the story when he's kind of talking about it is she sort of saw a theme in this record the tree Mm -hmm. of forgiveness and he was like a theme you know it's not a theme it's not sergeant peppers it's just 10 songs yeah but it, it seems almost like it is coming from a place like he's at least in a certain mindset um did you, you know, he's obviously been through a lot in his career from, you know, very serious illness, successes and failures. Did you see a theme as you were listening to it? Or is that just sort of something as a listener, you can kind of apply to your own life, wherever it works? It's hard, I think, when you go into a record from someone who is a, a little bit on the older side, not to say that anyone is old or, you know, be <laughs> sure. ageist or anything like that, but wondering if those are the topics they're going to explore in a record. Of course, yeah. Um, 
But of course, it being John Prine, he could be singing about anything, and he does. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, when I you know had listened to the album a bunch of times, I did get those similar themes from it, which Fiona said were, you know, love, mortality. Um, and those are very clear in the record, I think, but John Prine will say to you that he didn't mean it to be that way. Right. Um, but then he'll say that maybe he did in a way, <laughs> you know, like, um, he told me that he used this example of the, this movie, Big Fish, oh, yeah. um, which is about is a Tim Burton film mm-hmm. about this guy who's on his deathbed and he's telling all these crazy stories to his son. And I love that this is like the metaphor he used for him. <laughs> but, um, and he's telling his son all these crazy stories about all these different people he knew. And the son is like, yeah, you, whatever, you're just, you're just bullshitting me. Like, this mm-hmm. can't be true. Um, but he's sort of humoring his dad because he's on his deathbed. And then I guess, not, I don't mean to ruin the movie for anyone, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's been some like 13 years. Yeah, that's so you okay. You shot. guys have all seen yeah. it now. Um, but then goes to the father's funeral after he passes away and then sees all these characters mm-hmm. everywhere and realizes that, oh, like, he actually, those all those stories were true and you know, the common thread was the father. And that was sort of how he explained it. Like, <laughs> I'm this common thread. All these crazy stories around me are true, but I can't see... I don't see the link, so I don't see it being crazy. Right, yeah. So he's the I'm Albert the Finney character in in a sense. Yeah. I think it was Albert Finney in that. I think yeah. So, yeah. And they put him in the bathtub at the end and Yeah. It's been a while. It's been a while <laughs> since I've seen that. Yeah, I thought that was just like also yet another example of classic John Prine reference. The last reference you'd expect him to make, but therefore somehow exactly the reference yeah, that he would like, make. Oh, of course. Like um, yeah. So, is, is there a, a favorite song of yours on the record? I know it's hard to hard to choose, or at least a, rec- a song or a lyric that kind of stood out to you as being, you know, special. I, I love the the song that closes the record called "When I Get to Heaven." That's where the Tree of Forgiveness line is, mm-hmm. and it's just it's so joyous, even though it's about dying essentially, which yeah. is a, just. He has a funny way of being able to do that. Yeah, that just tells you everything you need to know. Well, not everything you need to know, but one of the main things I think you need to know about John Prine is Mm -hmm. that he's singing basically about dying, Mm -hmm. and it sounds like a a party. It's great. You know, Mm -hmm. he can smoke again, and he can drink, and um, he can see all of his loved ones, and it sounds great. Everyone's playing the kazoo. Jason Isbell and Amanda Shires are singing, and um, but and this is a... One of the songs I talk about in my piece is uh, The Lonesome Friends of Science is one of my favorites. It's so, it, John Prine wrote it alone, and he's been co-writing a lot lately, but this mm-hmm. one he wrote alone. I think he said to me, he's like, I think I, I had to have written that song alone because no one else could just follow. The they wouldn't really want to you know, get down with that. But <laughs> basically he got mad um, because Pluto was downgraded from a planet right. to a dwarf planet. First, I think it was actually something else, and then it was Dwarf Planet, right? I can't remember. It's, uh, there was a, pro- a progression, yeah. Yeah, something. just a progression. And that made him even more mad that, like, there were <laughs> other levels of it. Like, yeah. first, it was a planet, then it was something else. It's like, quit messing with poor Pluto. Yeah, and then it was back, and this made him, you know, pretty pissed off, and he started thinking about it, and that's where, uh, that's kind of what the song is about, sort of tracing Pluto's eviction from the solar system. <laughs> Then he refers to him as a star, which, of course, Pluto isn't a star. And he, John probably would know that. But he starts sort of just, you know, messing with Pluto makes him think of mythology, which then makes him think of 
Venus, which makes an appearance in there, which then makes him think of this statue in Alabama that he's obsessed with and outside of Birmingham called mm-hmm. the Vulcan, mm-hmm. um, which he apparently has a whole other song written about that oh. I don't want to, like, that will be amazing when it's written, but I don't want to even give it up because yeah, it's it'll just be another amazing song in his next record. Yeah, he seems like a real craftsman in a way that's, like, kind of literary to me. I mean, that sort of stream of consciousness you just described going from, like, just hearing news about, you know, the downgrading of Pluto to turning it into this entire journey through his mind, sort of, that seems sort of like, well, a microcosm of sort of how his songwriting works. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and that one to me, as, you know, somebody who sort of appreciates astronomy in general also was kind of just like, you know, it's kind of nerdy, fun, listen as well, on yeah. top of it being a metaphor for everything. Yeah. Um, great. Well, Marissa, your your story this week for us, I'm really, really proud to have it. It's a great read. Anytime somebody can really dig in with a long-form piece about about a songwriter or about a piece of art like this, it's always always tends to be one of my favorite reads. So thank you for doing it for us, and thanks for coming in to talk to us. Thanks for having me. Uh-huh. 